You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. Whoa. Wait a minute. Huh? Hold up. What? Oh, okay. Did we just lose the f***ing Canucks? You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Johnson trying to drive the goal. Besser in front for Pedersen. He scores! Elias Pedersen completes the comeback for the Canucks. Since we mentioned Chicago, yep. that's a team. If I was them, I'd be looking at Kuzmenko. Purdy pressure, Purdy throws. Caught by Brandon Ayuk. That is in the first half, not going to lie. Brock Purdy's going, going to his first Super Bowl. Good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. Hey, dog. Good morning to you. Good morning. Laddie, good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura Dealer. Today, we are in Hour 1 of the program. Hour 1 is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling, Vancouver's premier metal recycler. They pay the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? Uh, Kintech. Yep. We have a massive, massive show. We have so much to get into. This year's Super Bowl is set. The Vancouver Canucks had a stirring comeback. They left it all out on the ice before the cool guys got to go to Cabo and the other guys have to go to Toronto. Yeah, those loser all-stars. <laughs> a bunch of losers. No vacation for you. Uh, we got a bunch of guests we need to get to. We got a lot of stuff we have to do. So, guest list today, 6.30, David Amber, Hockey Night in Canada, Sportsnet, NHL host. Uh, he was working this weekend as the Canucks put together their stirring comeback victory over the Columbus Blue Jackets on Saturday. We'll talk to David about that at 6.30. 7.30. Mike Tannier, our NFL insider from The Messenger. The Super Bowl is set, ladies and gentlemen. It is the San Francisco 49ers against Taylor Swift and the Kansas City Chiefs. If you're thinking, hey, this sounds familiar, this feels familiar, you're not wrong. It's a Super Bowl rematch of four years ago, 2020, when Jimmy Garoppolo was at quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers. Now, it's Brock Purdy. Patrick Mahomes is still there for the Chiefs, so we'll talk to Mike Tannier about that at 7.30, 8 o'clock. Randeep Janda, color analyst, right here on Sportsnet 650 for your Vancouver Canucks. Uh, we'll look back on the weekend that was. Uh, Randeep's also going to Toronto for the All-Star Game, so we'll talk to him about that as well. Uh, no gifts today. No prizes. No nothing. I'm sorry. We're okay? the gift. We are the gift. It keeps on giving every day. Until this, they take us off the air. Is this a punishment to the listeners? Whether you like it or not. Yeah, Did they do something wrong? No. There's just no Canucks games. There's no Canuck home games for a while because the Canucks have this big all-star break. And then right when they start playing, it's like a five-game road trip. Right back on the road. So we have nothing to give you except our love. <laughs> and respect. It's all uh, we have. More love, less hey, respect. Maybe, Dun- not, maybe not respect. Done, but still, I want you all, I demand you. To send what we learns in. Because you can still be on the radio. It's your chance to be on the air. The Dunbar Lumber text line is 650-650. Get your what we learns in now. Start right now. What did you learn over the last 72 hours 
in sports. Hashtag it WWL. We'll read them at the end of the show. It's your chance to so, be on the radio. So I had to play two hockey games this weekend. Two and I, hockeys. And I also had to coach two hockey games. So four hockey games. I learned... I'm kind of sick of hockey. Do we have to talk about it? To, um, we can skip over it. Skip over the hockey? We can <laughs> like, go right nothing to the important tar- happened. Yeah, no, I'm kind of tired of hockey. <laughs> we can go right to the FA Cup if you want. I'm sure <laughs> our listeners will want to know about that. Anyway, on the guest list, working in reverse, 8 o'clock, it's Randy Janda, 7.30, it's Mike Tannier, 6.30, it's David Amber. That's what's happening on the program today. Laddie, let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. Oh, what happened? I missed all the action because I was... What happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance, making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit them online at bccsa.ca. With all due respect to the big football game on Sunday, February 11th, we're going to put the Super Bowl and the finalists on the back half here. We got to start with the Vancouver Canucks and a scintillating comeback over the Columbus Blue Jackets on Saturday. Brock Besser scores a hat trick. That's 30 goal scorer Brock Besser to you. Uh, the Vancouver Canucks came back from three down in the third period to extend their point streak to 11 games and to go into the break on a high note, a 5-4 overtime win against Columbus. Before we get to Jason, I just want to play the audio of Elias Pettersson Scoring the game winner with 59 seconds left in overtime. Here's our man, Brendan Batchelor. The last highlight we're going to hear from the Canucks for a while. Petey, game winner, overtime against Columbus on Saturday. Around Johnson, trying to drive the goal. Besser in front for Pedersen. He scores! Elias Pedersen completes the comeback for the Canucks. It's his second of the game. 27th of the season, Vancouver trailed 4-1 to after 40 minutes, but they're headed to the All-Star break on an 11-game point streak. They beat the Blue Jackets 5-4. to The winning goal from Elias Pedersen. So one of my hockey games was on Saturday evening. One and of your four hockey games. When it started... Uh, the Canucks were down four to one. So I watched the first period at home, and then when I was driving to the rink, uh, I was listening to Brendan Batchelor call how the Canucks were in the second period and making all sorts of mistakes, and the Blue Jackets were scoring. And then when I finally got ready to go out on the ice, it was four to one for Columbus. So I was like, nah, I'm not that upset about missing this game. Then we come back in the dressing room, and somebody looks at their phone and starts laughing. And I'm like, I know, I know what happened. You know exactly I know. What like, happened. I didn't think, I didn't think they were laughing because it was like Blue Jackets nine, Canucks one. I knew the Canucks had come back and won. And as you mentioned, what a great way to go into the All Star break when it could have been pretty demoralizing with two straight home losses to non playoff teams. Of course, they had lost to the St. Louis Blues in somewhat controversial fashion uh, the game before. Uh, the Canucks ended up getting nine out of a possible ten points on their five-game homestand, and that followed a very successful road trip. Um, the Canucks did not play a perfect game against Columbus, uh, but they were easily the best team in two of the three periods, and overall they were the best team. A bunch of mistakes nearly cost them, killed them in the second, but... When you're having the season the Canucks are having, I imagine you gain a belief in your ability to win games in multiple ways. And we've seen the Canucks 
uh, come back in games. We've seen them win high-scoring games like the Columbus game, and we've seen them win low-scoring games. We've seen them do this a lot, take a lead into the third period, protect that lead, and win the game. Um, We've seen it all season that this is a resilient group. Uh, Just because they lose one game or even two games doesn't mean they're going to go into a slump. Um, The way they found a way against Columbus was by drawing penalties and Lafferty, Garland and Miller all drew penalties to give the Canucks power play power plays. And of course the key to, to, to having the power play is to actually score on the power play and the Canucks scored on all three. Um, The PK also came through and, even though Tyler Myers was penalized in a controversial manner, which we can talk about if you want, but I'm almost glad that the Canucks ended up with a five-minute major on that play because it was great to see a penalty kill getting the job done in such such a big way. You know, they could have sat there and cried, woe is me, you know, the referees are out to get us or whatever. No, just... Just kill the penalty, and they killed the penalty, got it to overtime, and PD was able to win. So many storylines came out of that game. Uh, Brock Besser, as you mentioned, got his 30th of the season, the first time he's ever scored that many. As his dream season continues, Quinn Hughes, the captain, had three assists and played almost 30 minutes on the night. The exact number was 29-20, emptying the tanks right before the break. Um, and they they needed him because Myers would Myers couldn't play much, mm-hmm. uh, and of course, Petey had a much needed big night with two goals and an assist, including the game winning goal in overtime. He had a giveaway on the Jackets' first goal, and I'm sure the knives would have been out for him if the Canucks hadn't staged that comeback. Um, so I think the Canucks might have found something with Suter on that line with very Miller, interest, very interesting with very Miller interesting. and Besser now the attention turns to whether or not the Canucks can find a better running mate for Petey. And I think that's going to be the focus um, of our show or one of the focuses, main focuses of our show uh, until Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford start making some trades. Yeah, I thought um, I, I thought it was kind of interesting. I was almost joking with a couple of friends of mine. Not even joking, really. Just full-on joking about, you know, the Canucks need to find new adventurous ways to win games. and They need to start experimenting with things. So how about spotting the uh, opposition a fairly significant lead and then daring yourself to come back? And that's the stage. It's amazing that we're here, that we can joke but not really joke that this is the stage that the Canucks are at in their evolution where, yeah, if you happen to go down 4-1 in the playoffs, you now know. All you need is three power plays early in the third yeah. period to get back in it. Well, especially if they play Columbus in the Stanley Cup final. You know, and you get Elvis Merzlikens in there. And uh, it was, <laughs> look, for entertainment value's sake, because the Canucks are quite comfortable. And as mentioned, they have now an 11-game point streak going on. I suppose, suppose you can live with a 20-minute frame where you're playing with your food, which is really what it was in the second period because the mistakes were pretty egregious. You mentioned the Patterson one. Miller had a, a very egregious um, oh, man, they look checked out. I, I was there. Those first two periods, it's like, they're already on See, the game. See, not the first two periods. The first period, they, period, they dominated. Yeah, they, dominated. they just didn't yeah. score. They didn't look. They just didn't look. They didn't They didn't meet the Andy Cole eye no, test. No, they didn't yeah. look uh, a lot of it really was, captivated, I guess. A lot of it was the Bluger line in the first period. Yeah, they were the best line. Because if you're willing to give them the benefit of the doubt, which I am at this stage of the game, you could say it's the last game before the break. They were. 
where, you know, aside from squandering a point against St. Louis, they were almost perfect on this homestand. I think a lot of guys had the old, like, Cabo on three, one, two, three. They were ready to go. Oh, that's what it looked game, like. And right? then the third period, like, I guess we got to win now. And I, the the ability and a lot of it, I mean, almost all of it has to do with Quinn Hughes. I know there's other players on the team, but there's one guy where you can just be, just throw him the puck. Just be like, you know what? We're down. We need you to make things make happen. happen. <laughs> it's not unlike watching Lamar Jackson run around when he needs, but with better results. Uh, when you just need something to happen. Mm. And Quinn Hughes, just especially when he's on, on the man advantage, is he so dynamic and it's oh, there's a relentlessness to him and to the team, and he seems to the energy seems to lift the rest of the guys. Very impressive performance in the third, and then of course in overtime to close it out. Now everyone gets to go on to vacation happy. Uh, unfortunately for the guys that have to go to Toronto and slog that out, but they got a few days off before they have to go do that. So um, we, now we should probably talk about either uh, football or Kuzmenko. I think we should play some audio um, from Fridge. This yeah. is the most recent thirty-two thoughts, um, and we're just going to play it. Here's Fridge on Kuzmenko. By the way, Chicago, since we mentioned Chicago, mm-hmm. yep. that's a team, if I was them, I'd be looking at Kuzmenko. It's funny, too, because I always think Kuzmenko, if they're going to move off of him in Vancouver, he's going to end up with the Islanders. I thought Nashville for a while, but Chicago, mm-hmm. like they, they cannot score. And Chicago's in a situation now where they're signing guys, as long as they don't last longer than two years, and he's got only one more year. Yeah, like that, you know, but like they are, they're tough to watch without Bedard there. Um, they play hard. I'm not going to knock it. They they do play hard, but they they, you know, Markstrom was having a game on Saturday night. They could have given them 40 breakaways and they weren't going to score For on sure. him. Um, yep. But you know, you got to entertain. You got to try to score some goals. Kuzmenko is a guy I'd be looking at if I was if I was the Blackhawks, and they've already done a deal for Beauvillier, right? So uh, it's it, you know th- th- those guys can deal with each other. So forgot, about, did, forgot about old Beauvillier. Yeah, we had a conversation a while back about how the Canucks would trade Kuzmenko. Um, you know, cap space is obviously at a pre, uh, you know at a minimum in the NHL, but there are teams with cap space, and there are teams with needs for the Blackhawks. One thing that might look attractive to them is that Kuzmenko has a year left on his contract. So it's not just bringing in a guy, um, you know, for the rest of the season, which would be, I don't know how useful that would be in Chicago. This season's already shot. And in some ways they probably want to stay in the Celebrini sweepstakes. So, but with Kuzmenko having that other year on the deal, um, you know, they got to put together a better team for next year and maybe that helps them a little bit what would the Canucks um, get back though for Kuzmenko that, that's yeah it's interesting probably not much so I'm like, probably not would, much I just did, they don't seem like a trade partner that well, makes a lot of sense for a team that wants to go on a cup run well well I mean are you expecting a, a big return no Kuzmenko? no but I'm just yeah. saying what would the Blackhawks offer that could help well, the, the Canucks Black, right the now Blackhawks might, yeah. the Blackhawks might actually be in a situation no I don't think it would be like that it would be the Canucks would clear cap space and then they do a deal a with, deal with somebody else, else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the board. yeah that's fair like, that's fair like if I was the Blackhawks I'd be like oh you need to move this guy actually you're gonna sweeten the pot for us right um because you know, we're not desperate for Kuzmenko. Sure, it's a little embarrassing that we can't score right now, but we're not a very good hockey team. So that, and the Canucks might balk at that. They might just be like, nah, I think you're pretty embarrassed that you can't score and you need a guy like Kuzmenko, so we want something back. So what it looks like, I I don't know. Who knows? Who knows what the, what the return looks like? Um, I do wonder, though, 
if the Canucks will use this sizable break that they've got, they don't play again until February 6th. It's January 29th. So February 6th is the following Tuesday. Will they use this break to get some business done? Um, I imagine we'll probably hear some reports about Pedersen, um, and he's going to get asked about it in Toronto. Um, we'll hear if PD wants to talk contract this makes sense as a time to do that um he has been pretty consistent in saying we'll do it next season but or some in the off season but his reps have said that yeah it's possible to talk contracts so we'll see maybe he's gonna have a meeting with his agent uh at the very least and we'll see if alvin and rutherford start making some trades so we can talk about all of this later on in the show i do think that we should get to um, the NFL story in mm-hmm. what happened because the games were compelling. Um, there was heartbreak in both games, heartbreak, frustration, anger, but also jubilation for two teams, the Kansas City uh, Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers, who will meet in the Super Bowl two weeks from now. In Vegas. So the Niners with a thrilling comeback victory in the second of two championship games yesterday. And that was before the defending champion, the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, won the first of the two conference championship games. Chiefs beat the Ravens 17 to 10. Niners beat the Lions 34 to 31 to set up a rematch of Super Bowl 54. You got to go all the way back to 2020 for the rematch. This is now the fourth time in five years that the Kansas City Chiefs, led by Patrick Mahomes, are back in the title game in the previous three. Mahomes, Kelsey, and company, Andy Reid went two and one. And there were a ton of a ton of very controversial decisions made in both of the games over the weekend in the first game in what I thought was going to dominate headlines. The decisions were a complete lack of discipline from the Baltimore Ravens. Never ever in a game of that magnitude have I seen a team come so completely unglued in such a variety of ways. It was shocking to put it mildly when your defense can go out and hold Patrick Mahomes to 17 points. You think, Hey, They had a pretty good shot of winning this game, except when we shoot ourselves in the foot repeatedly. And they had all the bad penalties. They had them on offense. They had them on defense. They made so many stupid mistakes. They did it at the beginning of the game, the middle of the game, and at the end of the game. It was ridiculous. My favorite was when they were trying to go offside, which you just just step offside. Instead... Uh, they take an unnecessary roughness penalty, which cost them 15 yards instead of five. I mean, it was just one of those days where you were wondering what the Ravens were thinking, if they were thinking at all. So I don't know if you saw the pregame stuff. Pregame got heated. Travis Kelsey kind of swiped Justin Tucker's kicking gear away out of his warm-up space. And then the two teams were jawing at each other. <laughs> and it just felt like Baltimore just lost its head ahead of the game and could never get it back. Because that was the story. I know that the Chiefs deserve credit. They deserve for, a lot of credit. For going on the road throughout these playoffs and winning games and doing what they had to do to get back to the title game. But I look at that game and I'm saying, I don't understand how a team can become so completely unglued on that big of a stage and across the board, right? Mm-hmm. Zay Flowers with a taunting penalty and a fumble. Two Two roughing the passer calls on Mahomes that were completely unnecessary. Way late. Didn't need to happen. Kyle Van Noy getting, like, basically lured into a taunting penalty. Or, sorry, um, um, whatever the... 
personal foul on Travis Kelsey. Yeah. And Travis Kelsey just like laughing because he knew that he drew it from him, mm-hmm. right? Roquan Smith, you mentioned at the end of the game, the unnecessary roughness foul when all he had to do was jump offside. It was just so dumb. But then the second game happened. And the biggest, most controversial, most questionable decision of the weekend was Dan Campbell and the Detroit Lions leading 24 to 10 early in the third quarter. Got a chance for a 45-yard field goal on fourth and two. But instead of kicking the field goal to go up 27 to 10, Dan Campbell and the Lions decided to go for it like they have all year long. Mm -hmm. Let's not play it safe. Let's go for the jugular, except they missed the jugular. And, and they, they hit their, hit failed to, they, yeah, they basically hit their own. They failed to convert. And then whether you believe in momentum or not, and whether you believe in the football gods or not, something, something changed. I can't explain it. I know it might sound stupid and I might be leaving in, you know, bad karma and juju and what have you, but that game changed in three particular plays when they didn't go, when they didn't kick the field goal to go up 27 to 10. And then they had the interception on the 51 yard bomb, the Brandon Ayuk that went off a Detroit lions helmet. And into the hands of Ayuk, and then the Jamar Gibbs, uh, Jameer Gibbs fumble happened. But everything started with Dan Campbell Lions not kicking the field goal to go up twenty-seven to ten. I'm going to play the audio from Campbell now because a lot of people were asking why. Why did you decide to do this? What went into your decision to go for it on fourth so, and two as opposed to kicking in the third quarter? So if you're going to play the audio, I think you're going to play. This is actually him explaining uh, the second time. He went for it on fourth down, and that also failed. Mm-hmm. Two fourth down decisions that were critical in the second half. Neither one was converted. Um, you know, particularly the second one. Why? Why not take a, a field goal there and maybe stem the bleeding a little bit? Yeah, I just felt really good about us converting and uh, getting our momentum and and not letting them play long ball. Um, you know, they were bleeding the clock out. That's what they do. Um, and I wanted to get the upper hand back, um, you know, and it's easy hindsight. And I get it, you know, um, I get that. But I don't regret those decisions. And that's hard. You know, it's hard because, you know, they didn't, we didn't come through. It wasn't able to, to work out. But I just, I don't. I don't. And I understand the scrutiny I'll get. That's part of the gig, man. Um, but... You know, we just, just didn't work out. So um, we've been down this road before, especially in baseball, when teams have a way of going about their business. Oftentimes it involves analytics and it gets them places. It gets them to big games. And then the analytics demand that they play in the same way and it doesn't pay off for them and they look like idiots basically and we've seen this happen to the Jays we've seen it happen to the Tampa Bay Rays um and now in football we've seen it to the Detroit Lions and it's uh it go the the debate goes around and around right you know sure. you, you could start with the defense of Dan Campbell and say Listen, like everyone was praising Dan Campbell, the guy with, uh, you know, like the the guts to to go for it, and he he's brought that attitude to a team that dad that that badly needed some swagger, and he got the Detroit Lions to in uh, an NFC title game. He he won them a playoff game. In fact, he won them too. You know, 
they, so they get to this moment and all of a sudden you're supposed to, to, to change your ways. But then, you know, you've got the argument, which frankly I'm on, um, like, what are you out of your mind? You, you had a chance to, to make it a, a 17 point game with a field goal. That's a three score game. Kick the field goal. Don't don't give the San Francisco 49ers who have a great defense. Don't give a team like that life. Don't get just just kick the field goal and make it a 17, 17 point game. Well, the, the key thing here is if you want to talk about analytics and math, if you go up 27 to 10, Jason, how many points are you up by? 17. How many scores is that? Three. If you go up 31 to 10, how many points is that, Jason? 21. How many scores is that? Three. So either way, you're up three scores. That is the math that I have a hard time wrapping my head yeah. around with Dan Campbell. Yeah. And I, I don't even know if the analytics would have leaned towards going for it on fourth down in that instance, because either way, the 49ers are going to need to possess the ball at a minimum three times. Yeah. To even Now, granted, they could take the lead with that third one, but the point remains, you're still putting the onus on the 49ers to get the football back three times and to put the points on the board Three separate now, times. There's no guarantee they made the field goal. Well, that's true. That's that. That's something. Forty-five that comes yarder up. So, in so, good weather. So you listen, got a good chance. We can go around in circles on this debate. Um, most of the time, people just pick a side, and you know, some people are like, you know, if you're criticizing Dan Campbell in that situation, then you're criticizing all the big gambles that he made to get the Lions in that situation. Not even big gambles. I don't want to make it sound like like there was method to his madness, but he just played unconventionally to made decisions unconventionally, something that we haven't really gotten used to in in football completely yet. Um but you know, when I when I saw the in the moment, in the moment when he made that decision to not kick the field goal, I was sitting there going, mm, "Man, okay." I hope this works out for you because that's a 17-point lead. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. So earlier in the show, I asked the question, will the Canucks use this break to get some business done? Um, Maybe we'll hear if Petey wants to talk contract or not. Probably not. And we'll see if Alvin and Rutherford start making some trades or at least I'm sure that it's already started. The talks, the laying more groundwork to make some trades. Um, Just to set it out for you, the Canucks don't play again until February 6th, which is next Tuesday when they're in Carolina to kick off a five-game road trip that also runs through Boston, Detroit, Washington, and Chicago. Maybe they just leave Kuzmenko in in Chicago, as Fridge alluded to. Maybe the Blackhawks should be interested in Kuzmenko. They call it the Windy City, Andre. Uh, yeah, you'll love it here. Um, your hair might get a little more messed up, though. Uh, the trade deadline isn't until March 8th, so that's five weeks away, right before the Canucks kick off a whopping nine-game homestand. So there is still lots of time to make moves, although it wouldn't be a bad idea to get that business done as soon as possible. I always think that you want to get new players into the team as soon as you possibly can. Um, if you wait to the trade deadline, you'll still have like 15, 16, 17 games to do it. But mm-hmm. I think the more time that you have to experiment, the better. Um, but some teams just might not be ready. Like I could see 
I could see Calgary or Pittsburgh. I could see them waiting right until the trade deadline because they're sitting there going, well, we want to see if we could maybe make the playoffs. Um, So will Calgary start selling soon? Who knows? That's up to Craig Conroy. Uh, What about the Penguins who still just cannot seem to get it done? If I was in Kyle Dubas' shoes, you know, I would discuss. I would have some talks with Gensel's agent. Um, I don't think they're going to be able to resign that guy. So the question for him is, how good is my team? Mm-hmm. Can my team make the playoffs? And can my team go on a run? Or do I need to sell off Gensel and think about the future, um, both long-term and short-term, um, a future without Jake Gensel? If I'm Kyle Dubas, I, j- I just want to wait a little bit longer and see if this group can get it together. Uh, Trey, the Gulf Island ferry worker, writes, and I'm glad you wrote this, Trey, because I did indeed see a little bit of uh, scuttlebutt. Trey writes, has anyone brought up the idea of Tyler Toffoli prevent- potentially being a trade target for the Canucks? So the deal on Toffoli is this. He's in the last of a four-year, $17 million deal very, very affordable cap hit at $4.25 million. Uh, does not have any sort of no trade or no movement clause. And the really interesting thing here is that not only are the New Jersey Devils six points out of a playoff spot at the time of airing here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650, they're absolutely ravaged by injury. Right? They got Dougie Hamilton on IR, Thomas Nosek, Jonas Siegenthaler, uh, Jack Hughes is out with an injury, Brendan Smith is out, My uh, Eric Halla is out. So they've got a lot of guys on the shelf. They have not gotten the goaltending, nor have they solved it. I do wonder if this is one of those years where progress is not always linear for a team on the rise. Sometimes it happens where things transpire against you. And if you look at this team, you do wonder... Is Toffoli long-term for them? Mm-hmm. Is he going to be a guy that they're going to focus on re-signing? And if he's not, do they say, hey, look, this year didn't go our way. Uh, Jack missed a ton of time. Losing Dougie Hamilton was a massive blow. It just didn't go our way because we had so many injuries. We're going to try and salvage the situation. I don't know if it's a fit. I don't know if you can get the band back together again. I don't know if it'll work. But it's interesting to throw it out there in the context of, what other teams are going to declare themselves sellers or what other teams are going to say, hey, look, maybe the playoffs aren't as realistic as we thought they once were. Let's start moving to what can we recoup from this lost season? Uh, Mark in White Rock texts in to the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, I'm surprised more isn't being said about Mikheyev. He's not a second-line player on a contending team. He belongs on the fourth line. Petey needs two new wingers. Not just one. Yeah, Mikheyev is not doing a whole heck of a lot out there. Um, and if you look at his ice time this season compared to last season, last season he averaged almost 17 minutes per game. This season it's down over two minutes in average ice time, down to 14 39. Some of that might be special teams related. I haven't gone into the numbers that much, but yeah, he hasn't been doing that much. And I think we all were hopeful that Mikheyev was going to recover from his injury and be an impactful player. And I think that's the key word there, impactful. Mm -hmm. But even if he's doing some good things out there that aren't making a lot of noise, you know he's not doing a lot of big things out there, and 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 I I have time for Mark's argument, but 
I think Kuzmenko is the guy that we hear about the most, and Kuzmenko is the guy that if you were to ask Rick Tockett, who are you going to trust in the playoffs if you could have a choice between two guys? Is it Mikheyev or is it Kuzmenko? I think the answer is an obvious Mikheyev. 100%. Mikheyev hasn't been a healthy scratch yet. No. I also have not heard Tockett be critical of Mikheyev's play once this season, I don't think. I mean, my automatic recall on post-game talk. Has he been asked about him, though? (laughs) You know, but, I mean, look, I think there have been pointed criticisms of lines and of units and of groupings and of pairings that have come... Uh, unprompted. Now, don't get me wrong. A lot of them are mostly like, "What did you think about this guy's play? What did you think about that mm. guy's play?" But I ha- that to me that would always be the sort of first first indication that something may be amiss is if the head coach will bring it up publicly. Now, again, you bring up a good point. Maybe he hasn't been asked about it. I see the criticisms of Mikhaev coming in on a regular basis into the Dunbar Lumber text message in basket. I kind of tend to push back because I think Mikhaev is done what he's supposed to do. Like he's kind of come as advertised and let's not forget he is playing in the first season of coming off a torn ACL in which he played on it for half of his season before finally getting shut down. So so maybe he shouldn't be with one of the most important players on the Canucks. Now I'll say that that is, that is a valid um, critique of the deployment Mm -hmm. is maybe he shouldn't be riding shotgun alongside Pedersen. But in when you talk about Kuzmenko in that same vein, I think you're saying, well, Kuzmenko's not holding up his end of the bargain. I think Mikheyev is. I think he might just be, as you mentioned, miscast uh, as a top-line winger. Drancer and Harm wrote a good article in The Athletic about the ideal trade deadline for the Canucks. And I, and I really liked what they brought up in the article is that you can't just get a guy like for PD who's just like a finisher. Or something like that. Like, you really want to get a play driver. A guy that can help Petey move the puck from one end of the ice to the other. Um, And I think that's one of the issues we're seeing with Mikheyev and Kuzmenko. Those guys aren't really doing that. Um, Now, the problem with that is (laughs) it's hard to find those guys, right? It's hard to find play drivers and they kind of explained what they meant by a play driver and that's just again a guy that they made a they made a comparison to Connor Garland with the Bluger Joshua line and you know like we all know that's the engine that makes that line go not to take anything away from Bluger and Joshua sure. but a lot of the times it's Garland doing the dirty work um, I do wonder sometimes if Tockett has considered bringing Garland up to play with Petey but he probably doesn't want to break up that line so if you can get another player like that, but again, it's expensive um, and those players are rare, that's going to be the ideal fit. It's not just someone to be like someone to, you know, finish PD's passes or even just a, like a kind of like a playmaker on that line. You need to get a guy that can help PD move the puck from one end of the ice and then get it set up. So easier said than done. To the phone lines we go. Randy Janda joins us now on the Halford and Breath Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, Randy. How are you? Good morning, guys. How are you doing? How are you enjoying your uh, your bye week, I guess? 
Yeah, we're uh, we're being accused of manufacturing stories in the Dunbar Lumber text message in basket. I just saw that. But aside from that, we're doing well. We're still basking in the excitement and right. glow of uh, of Saturday's game. Uh, I guess oh, that we was- got we got to read the text now for Randy. We'll, sure, we'll, we'll, you yeah. know what? Let's thoughts do that. on this. Jason, let's be honest. Okay, so you know it's serious. Pedersen's contract isn't a true Canucks storyline. It's a manufactured one. But I get it. You have a show to fill, and with no NHL games, you have to talk about something. So the future of one of the best Canucks is not a storyline. Randeep, agree or disagree? I do not agree with that. Come on now, guys. First of all, it's until a contract is signed, it's always a storyline. Even if there was a contract, it'd be a storyline. That's just... Was it Jason? Jason? uh, I'm sorry, Jason. I don't agree with you. It is a storyline. No, the, the, he was saying Jason to me. Let's oh, he's, okay, this sorry, is unsigned. Yeah, he didn't. Sorry. He didn't sign it. Oh, I mean, unsigned. All right. Listen, my I, apologies, Jason. I, I, I think uh, in the texture's defense, what a lot of people are saying is, listen, Pedersen has said he doesn't want to talk contract, so stop talking about it. And my pushback has always been, okay, fair enough. But if he gets to the off season and he becomes RFA officially. Then he starts talking to other teams. Matthew Kachuk explained how it went with him. He was like, yeah, I was just kind of uncertain. And then I got to my RFA status. And as per my rights, I was able to talk to some other teams. And they laid out their plans for me. And I kind of liked Florida's. And then he forced his way to Florida. So I don't think the Canucks wanted to get to that point. Do you, Randeep? I'm of the opinion of two minds here, right? First of all, in the moment, enjoying the season, I'm very much with the texture in terms of not that it's not a storyline. It's just for your own mental health. You might not want to think about that. But Jason, to your point, is it a situation that Canucks want to be in? Of course not. When your star player is in a situation where they can consider other options, um, yeah, no team wants to be in that. You want to be the the only option for any player, uh, your star player. So um, for my mental health, and I would suggest for Vancouver Canucks fans, I would enjoy the moment, but of course it's in the back of your mind. It's got to be. It's, you know, you know, preserving an asset, preserving a player that is really important to you. And, you know, the Matthew Kachuk example is a good one. I think the Mark Stone one is another one that you started looking at in Ottawa way back when mm-hmm. to say, hey, you know, is that a situation you want to avoid? Of course you do. So it is a talking point because um, if you look down the road, that's always there. But the way that this season has played out, there's just so much more to kind of, I think, focus on right now that, yeah, it's in back of mind for me. But it's always on the mind until a deal gets done. No question about that. Well, we should, we probably shouldn't let the local hockey team control our mental health either. It's, That's know, true. If, well. if, if you're going into, like, mental health problems yeah. because you're how, thinking how, about the Elias Pettersson contract, then, you know, come on. Get, get your act together. For the past 50 years. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, let's focus on a positive Elias Pettersson moment. That was the overtime winner against Columbus on Saturday. So tell me this, Randy. The Canucks are down 4-1 going into the third period. What are you and Batch saying in your private moments to one another? Did you foresee a comeback on the horizon? Or are you thinking that this might be just one of those nights where everyone just wants to get out of there, get on vacation, and start enjoying the break? So I was working hockey night in Canada up in Dubby this weekend. So this week, uh, I'm during that game in the second period when that's going on. Uh, to me, it was, no, they're going to find a way to get back in this game. It's the Columbus Blue Jackets, first of all. And second of all, like the JT Miller quote 
from game day skate told me a lot of we can't go into Cabo or we can't sorry go into the all-star break um, with a bad taste in our mouth. So in the, you know, thinking about that game, watching that game play out when it's four one, when Marchenko scores on that deflection on a power play, you're saying, Oh, that's not, that's not a great situation, but it's still the Columbus blue jackets. This is a team that outside of maybe Chicago has had the most disastrous season in the NHL and if the Canucks wake up here in the third period early on, you're going to get a chance. So even though even though they looked pretty bad there in that second period, that Jake Bean goal where JT Miller gives the puck away and just carve up the Canucks through the middle of the ice, um, it didn't look great. But with the Blue Jackets, if everything worked out fine, I, I'm not going to lie, part of me was like, is this a comeback that, that needs to be made just based on the fact that it's the Columbus Blue Jackets? And I didn't expect that to happen, though. I'm not going to lie, I thought – you know, Brock Besser and that performance. Uh, of course, the power plays and the, everything, the way that, that played out. The shorthanded five-minute stretch near the end of regulation. Um, didn't predict it would go that way, but with the Columbus Blue Jackets as the opposition, guys, it's, it's always an option just how bad they've been this year. And credit to the Canucks. They did what they had to do to get back in that game and take it to OT. Yeah, I, j- I joked earlier that the Canucks are in such a fortuitous position now that they're going to try and put themselves in unique situations to try and get different kinds of victories. Like, for example, spotting Columbus, a three-goal lead going in to the third period. But, I mean, that's two games in a row now where I think House of Negativity would say, like, the Canucks didn't play well and had to have these furious comebacks. House of Positivity will say, like, that is the sign of a resilient team that isn't just going to say, okay, our fate has decided. They're going to fight back. And the important thing is they've got the offensive fire power and the sort of frenetic ability to after it in a really short period of time to make up multi-goal deficits in a really quick strike way. Well, that's quite a change in mentality too, right? Because the last two years have been the opposite of that. All the talent in the world, but what happens where you, know, you don't have a, um, it all kind of pulling in the same direction in previous years. You also didn't have the defensive structure uh, in this game. You get up four goals. You're kind of lacking that. Yeah. You take some penalties. Um, you give up a power play goal, of course, uh, so it doesn't help you early on in the game. But you're right, that firepower. You know, we, when we're talking about Brock Besser scoring three goals, he's got, what, on five shots, picks up four games. You've, uh, sorry, four, um, four points. You've got JT Miller uh, leading the league in primary assists. You've got Quinn Hughes having a three-point game. Elias Pettersson, it's all kind of pulling in the same direction this year. And that's something that, even though the Canucks have had skill in previous years, uh, what I like about this group is... and I'm going to say the leadership group because, you know, we know Quinn Hughes is a part of it. We know Elise Pedersen, JT Miller, all these guys, when they need to deliver, you know, they've been able to do that, whether it's game-breaking ability. A lot of that comes from Quinn Hughes, uh, his dynamic play. But in a game where Brock Besser, a couple of his goals are not the prettiest goals, it doesn't matter. It's by any means necessary. And that's what's different about this team this year is that that game – Prior to the All-Star break, you know, heading into that, and I'm sure halfway through the game, second period, people are saying, what's going on here? This is not the way to go to the All-Star break. Guys, they come back in this game. They're 9-0-2 heading into the break. They're 4-0-1 on the five-game homestand. And if you ask the team, sure, Columbus and St. Louis were not their best games, but they're absolutely just picking up points um, and having this point streak and looking, you know, like they could play better, which tells you the standard within that room now. And that, I think, goes to leadership group, that credit, but also Rick Tockett, where the bar has been raised so high that picking up points is simply not it. It's about you do it a certain way. So they get the job done against Columbus boys, but 
I think you're going to have a motivated group coming back from the break just to say, hey, yeah, those final two games, they weren't our best. We can do better than that. Randeep, is the number one job heading into the trade deadline for Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford is the number one job to find a better running mate or maybe running mates, plural, for Elias Pettersson? I think so. I think what we've seen with the Pew Suter experiment is that he's such a versatile player that he can move around and he can play alongside JT Miller and Brock Besser and, and give you, you know, a little something on the power play too, which is something that maybe uh, we didn't necessarily think was going to be permanent. And it still may not be depending on who you pick up for that Pedersen line. But I think with Mikheyev, Ilya Mikheyev is not going to be your secondary option on a line. He's going to be your four checker and Rick Tockett wants to see more from him, right? And more often than not, what you have on that line is um, Mikheyev is going to get his chances occasionally. Sometimes he'll create them himself in the neutral zone, but he's, he's a guy that is the, the third option on a line. Kuzmenko, we know where his game's at right now. Uh, 11 minutes against Columbus. This is a guy that has obviously struggled. He had a good game against Chicago, but, you know, against Chicago, a pairing against uh, Isaac Phillips and Louis Crevier, it wasn't exactly, you know, you were playing against two defensemen that he was matched up against uh, that are from essentially the AHL, and he was confident. He was buzzing. He was all over the place. Outside of that, um, we haven't necessarily seen him take over games. So for me, yeah, that has to be the priority where you're saying, who is that secondary player that can help Elias Pettersson, you know, play that style of game where right now just smart um, along the walls, smart in getting pucks deep, uh, a complimentary scorer, of course, gives PD an option. Um, and Mikheyev, to his credit, like I, I know Tockett mentioned that he's got to be better. And of course he does, right? Like you see a lot of nights, Mikheyev's got a lot of zeros, not many shots on goal. Uh, the hits are low. Uh, he's got to be their four checker. If you simplify his role a little bit more to be like, hey, what we need you to do is we need you to be aggressive on the four check, turn over pucks in the neutral zone. If you give him that one duty or that one area to focus on, I think he's a better player. We've seen that in the past. Um, but yeah, there is a bit of a spot that's missing next to Elias Pedersen on that wing. And you need some hard skill, in my opinion, to play alongside him. You need some skill. Um, but that is the biggest need, I would say, because Pierce Suter, for the time being, has made that Miller-Besser line look really, really good, and he just has the right amount of skill. He's a smart player that can help him out defensively as well. So I'm going to ask you a question once again from the Dunbar Lumber text line, and all it says is, hear me out. Petey, with Garland and Joshua, would you rob Teddy to pay Petey? Okay, nice, nicely put. Um, I'd give it an experiment at some point. If you need it, I don't think you're there. This is a team that's picked up 11 points in, sorry, uh, points in, on, in 11 games, 11 in a row. Uh, I don't necessarily think you're there. I like what that Joshua line does. I love the way that they're able to take over games. Guys, we focus on the third period of that Columbus game. The first period was dominated by that line. And the ability to have a third line that gives you problematic matchups from an opposition's perspective is going to be valuable in the playoffs. So for a, maybe a bit part role, if you're looking for a spark, for instance, if you're trying to get uh, Elias Pedersen, drag him into the fight, so to speak, and maybe he's not going so much, uh, would I experiment with it? Absolutely. Do I think that has staying power? Not necessarily because I, you do need some top six skill next to Pedersen, but as an experiment within the game, just to, you know, if, if maybe Pedersen's not, you know, to talk its 
Um, what he mentioned last week about maybe he's not skating or he's not moving his legs so much. If you're trying to wake him up a little bit, I don't mind that, but I don't think that's a permanent thing you can move to. Uh, we're speaking to Canucks radio analyst Randy Janda here on the Halford and Bruff show on Sportsnet 650. Randy, we're now about 36 hours removed from the game on Saturday. Do you have any more clarity, uh, any more logic, any more reasoning as to what went into the decision with the Ian Cole? Oh, you got a major. No, you don't. Now, Tyler Myers, you have one decision uh, on the weekend. Yeah, no, I have no idea what happened there. It's one of the weirdest <laughs> calls ever. And um, I've never, you know, the, the the setting the precedent of reversing a call and essentially saying, hey, yeah, not you. Sorry, the guy that was next to you. We're tossing him from an elbow. Um, I, I'm on, you know, I have two opinions on this, right? Okay. Like, you make the call. It's a very quick game. I get it. Uh, but the explanation that Elliot Friedman got was just the, just get the call right. Um, I like the, I like the mentality behind that, but the execution boys, uh, it's, it's a little, it's a little strange to me. So, you know, it is one of the weird ones where the Canucks look like they're going to lose Ian Cole for a little bit. And then Tyler Myers ends up getting tossed, but the precedent that it sets of like, mm-hmm. get this call yeah. right uh, by any means necessary. Like if imagine if that call was made in the playoffs. Where, I can't. That's what I, I mean. I, I don't mean to interrupt you here, but yeah, I feel yeah. like this is a bigger deal because the Pandora's box has been open now. Yeah, I think they need to clarify sure. that because they just that look. There, I think there needs to be some clarification. Do I expect it to happen? No, but I think it should be. But you know what happened? Totally. You know what happened on the weekend was they reviewed a sequence of the game. They didn't yep. review uh, an incident. Mm-hmm. They reviewed a sequence. And that's a big difference because all of a sudden it's like, well, where are the parameters for review? Can you take a two-minute chunk and say, well, let's just go look and see what we missed? Because that's essentially... Be like, God, we missed a lot. Yeah, we're not good at this at all. <laughs> but I, I don't know where the... like, I don't know where the bar is now because it seems like it's been either raised or lowered, but uh, it's not what it used to be. The call itself is... Yeah, it's bizarre, it's controversial, it's setting a new precedent. But, guys, I think the bigger issue here is another thing, and what you guys explained, the explanation. Um, This league doesn't do a great job of explaining those decisions, and I'm sure it's to protect the referees that, of course, they have a very difficult job. This is an extremely fast game. It's it's one that you have to make a judgment call, and you hope it's the best one. But the reality is other leagues do do this better, right? If there's a call on the ice, if there's a call on the play – uh, they do explain it. So that explanation is is really important because is this scenario going to play out another time? Or is this simply a one-off? But you're right. It's opening Pandora's box. But now is this an option for referees to say, hey, or the league to say, hey, just get the call right. We can back it up. We can change things around. Um, yeah, I'm with you. I was you know watching that game like everybody else. You see the delay. You see it, Ian Cole sitting there. And he's kind of baffled looking at, uh, at the play um, and the way this happens play out as well. And in the end, Tyler Myers gets a fine, so his you know trip to Cabo is a little bit more expensive than everybody else. But the point is, it doesn't set a good precedent because now we're going to be asking these questions next time another another play happens across the league. And yeah, does it lead to anything? Because to me, it's it's about the lack of explanation. Where as a league, I just think you've got to do a better job of communicating what happened in your games. And the NHL is not quite there. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff.